0: Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. And hey, welcome back to the Football by Football podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. This is NFL in the game. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus a couple weeks away. Uh, our sort of mid-season bi-week, if you will, by weeks, if you will. Uh, but we're back on the horse, ready to roll. And I'm joined today by Brady Pepenga. Brady, how you doing, man?
1: doing fantastic there, Matt. Exciting times in NFL football right now with some teams that uh, were undefeated. And, uh, what, about two, three weeks ago, they're sort of falling off the map.
0: I know, things have changed, and that, I think that makes this for a little more exciting show. We can redirect and talk about some very specific things. Just to sort of preface, for those of you who have been away from the show for a couple of weeks, just like us, we usually did this sort of, what have we learned from the weekend before, and then unanswered questions moving forward into the weekend. We're deep enough, we think, into the into the season now where we really don't need to get into the devices. I think we know these teams by and large, and we've just got matchups to talk through. And since it's a big docket of games, we want to dive right in for you and get after it so having a former Packer on the line, a former Super Bowl champion, I would love to go first to uh, something I actually wrote on this week for both Fox and something that, something that you can find on the website today on footballbyfootball.com. Dived in, or dove, excuse me, into the uh, the Vikings and Packers. Now, yeah, you being a former Packer, uh, I took it from sort of the, the Viking angle, and I can get into that answer a little bit after I hear from you, but obviously sort of your diagnosis of what's going on with the Packers, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of panic there, in Green. Bay, but uh, they get a big opportunity here to go back and sort of defend the North, as they say.
1: Yeah, it's all about Olivia Munn, man. Aaron needs to just break up with her and go <laughs> become a hermit <laughs> and never ever <laughs> yeah, date a so girl ridiculous. again, because apparently that's yeah. is, uh, the the source of all of his issues if you're talking to the media there. Come on! That's just kidding. That's, uh, the that's biggest sort of. issue with the Green Bay Packers is the receiving core. They had a Rolodex of players come through there, you know, with the loss of Jordy Nelson being the first of the movement of that uh, particular position group. And because of that, they just have not been on the same page. Last week was the best example of that. I mean, Aaron threw the ball to Devontae Adams 20 times. He caught 10 of them. So think about it. There was like, actually, I think 21 times. 11 other times where he threw the ball to them and they, they didn't connect. <laughs> And so, yeah, they're not on the same page because the, the problem is is they're right now facing a lot of man coverage. Teams rarely would do that to him because they would gash them. They'd use quick slant routes. They'd back shoulder fade routes to just gash that man defense, and then teams would get away from it. And now they're not able to do that. And as we know with those kind of routes, they're heavy in timing. And that means that there has to be some kind of business relationship developed with these receivers. He just doesn't have it with a lot of those guys I mean he does with Randall Cobb a little bit with James Jones I mean James Jones though, has been gone for a couple of years and his skills have diminished a little bit and they weren't and they're not you know at the level of the Jordy Nelson and so really it's just a function offensively of the receivers with the Aaron Rodgers just not being on the same page and they're just off just enough to where they're not able to connect and really gash defenses when they get into that man-to-man coverage.
0: It's interesting, that, and I see this in a lot of NFL rosters where a guy will have sort of a spike in production. He's done really well in a system, and he, he's this perfect complementary piece. And then he's no longer asked to be the complementary piece because he had some production. He goes into free agency. I'm going to get the big contract. And I kind of looked at it at guys that I would love to have them on my football team. I think you could form a great football team with Randall Cobb and and, uh, Devante Adams. I think these are good players, but I think they're good complementary players. And I think when it falls away and that is your one of those two guys has to be your go run the precision route. Absolutely get open on this play and, and, you know, be crisp at the top of that and make the completion. They don't seem like that kind of guy. They seem like more of your sort of Swiss Army, uh, big play, gadget play guys, stretched the field with some sort of jet sweep kind of thing catch him on a screenplay catch and run plays at Devontae, something like that they're those guys uh, honestly a lot like Mike Mike Wallace was for his time in in Pittsburgh and then they expect him to go to Miami and be a big play guy every weekend week out and we see him now in, in Minnesota and his role has diminished quite quite a lot. And sometimes I think they find these fast people and presume that they can also be Torrey Holt, you know, be like this precision, yeah. Or even obviously Jordy Nelson. So I, I saw a little of that. Rogers looks to me, the other Rogers, the tight end looks to me like a, like a decent player, like a good, reliable, keeps catching a, t- you know, a touchdown every week or two in the red zone, but hasn't sort of Developed into the guy that Aaron can go target out in the middle of the field, you know, seven or eight times in a game. Uh, so it does. It looks like they're kind of searching and, and something that we talked about early in the year and, and, and studying them. I agree quite a bit. I, I think the Packers' line is pretty stout group, pretty solid. You know, you can, you know, I would say it's it's close. It's on the on the cusp of a top ten kind of offensive line. But they they have sure. had struggled when they're just going to revert into hey, let's put Aaron under center, which they don't do a ton of anyway, and and just run the ball with you know either James. Stark Parks looks like he's our lead guy now, or, or Eddie Lacy, who's lost yeah. part of the role. But yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be kind of fun just from like a Petri dish, dish standpoint to say, okay, here's what you've been doing the last couple of weeks. Clearly didn't work against Denver. Clearly didn't work against Carolina. Uh, oof, the, the the performance against the Lions was just a head scratcher. But let's take this yep. group of guys and sort of reformulate it. I still think there's something there. I just the the the, the, the They're using old methods that I don't think necessarily works with their personnel. Is that fair?
1: Uh, well, I, I would say this. It's just a matter of them settling into those methods. Like I had mentioned before, of the precision kind of – the quick slant had been something, even when Brett was there in 06, that we ran that thing when they would get into man coverage or defenses would get into man coverage situations so well that we would just gash defenses with it to where they'd have to get out of it, and they'd go into more of a, an off-coverage kind of situation just to keep those kind of plays in front of them. And, and and again, like I said, those are those heavy timing plays. Even the back shoulder fade when Jordy and Aaron, uh, Aaron started really uh, rolling there became that kind of that go-to route that just would cause those man coverage, press coverage defenses, just headaches. And, and to me, it just comes down to timing, just getting on the same page. So they can stay with those same concepts. It's just a matter of when, are, when is it finally going to click for everybody? Is it going to be this week? Is it going to be two weeks, three weeks? Is it two or three weeks? It could potentially be too late. So I, I, I think for them, it's just a matter of keep on keeping and hope that you can get things clicking uh, sooner than later.
0: Keep on keeping on. I love that. I think this morning I started, uh, started my day with some Joe Cocker. That's not a Cocker song, but uh, it's, it's a good 70s anthem there somewhere. <laughs> keep on keeping on. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's right. Man. Anyway, so flipping to the but flipping to the other side of the docket there we got the minnesota vikings and uh it's a team that with locks uh you know writing up that column each week for our website the vikings have been a team that we've cashed in on a couple times and they've been they've been dependable and but they've been a bit of an oddity because they don't do anything very well <laughs> yet they're very very difficult to beat and I, i'm 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 since sens- i'm sensitive to that sort of Mo, because I don't mind it. I don't say that in a derogatory manner. I mean that as a compliment, which I know doesn't come off that way much. But it was something that was said about us as Patriots for years, especially in the 2001 season, where how the hell are these guys 11 and five? And then we did the run through the playoffs, it's like how the hell? Like you know, no one was out there saying we got to learn how to stop Troy Brown or how are we going to stop uh, <laughs> Ant- Antoine Smith? And like the, the 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 name cachet wasn't heavy enough to where I think people feared you, even defensively. It was early in Teddy. Brewski's career, early, earlier in Willie McGinnis' career. Ted Johnson was still a good player, but I don't think there's people out there calling him Ray Lewis. But yet we put together All these right. sort of complete package games. And as I watch the Minnesota Vikings on film, I'm just impressed how there aren't any cracks in the dam. But there's no guy where it's like, OK, wow, we got the Vikings this week. We got a game plan to stop X. Now, I know the, 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 the name that people will sort of gravitate to is Adrian Peterson, but I'll I'll yeah. say this from a fantasy football perspective, and from and uh, from a fantasy perspective, and from the just study and tape perspective, I don't think Adrian Peterson's been that great. And I know that'll sound controversial because he's got 200 more yards than the next guy. But when I study hey, so him, is not he, uh,
1: he leading the league
0: in rushing right now, or at least close? He, he, he <laughs> is, but he is by 200 yards. But I'll give you an example of how sometimes those stats can be misleading. So a week ago against the Raiders, he had, I would say, a pedestrian. And and again, an average day for him is is still a good day by most measures. But he had a lot of runs where he'd have a one-yard run or a two-yard run or a four-yard run. But he's one of those guys that this season in particular will get to that sort of six yards per carry number because he'll have an 80-yard run. But but what yeah. it's so it's it's that difference between sort of averages and then doing the ones where you eliminate the outliers to find out what's really the mean, and they've been a team where when you really need to string together drives they've been a pretty average offense. I mean, there's a lot of trying to use Adrian Peterson as a sub back, which hasn't worked. You know, he looks really uncomfortable when he gets handed the ball by Bridgewater in the gun, and you'll see a lot of one mm. negative runs, you'll see one yard runs, two yard runs, but then you look at the end of the box score and oh, he rushed for two hundred yards. Well, last week, that was 30-some carries at about 115-ish, which are 120-ish or whatever it was at the time where things had ended. A good day by any measure, but they're one of the few teams that still gives the ball to their back 30 times. Uh, it got yeah, really you know, polluted, and I, I mean, it just and it got polluted by yeah. the eighty-yard run, and the, and the eighty-yard run came after the interception <laughs> that ended the game. So it's kind of one of those stat yeah. anomalies. I guess my whole point in that is if the Packers overload the box, we got to stop Adrian Peterson. There are several, I think, three uh, uh, examples in this in this year's sort of docket where people have really held Adrian Peterson down to like sub three yard per carry games, and the Vikings still beat them. It's, it's just a real weird kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in my experience of playing against Adrian Peterson for, uh, I think it was five years uh, when I was with the Packers, Of those the six years I was with him, he was with the pay, uh, with the uh, the Vikings, and you're you're describing every game that we played against this guy. I mean, he would, you know, we would contain him for like five, six, seven, eight straight plays straight, and then all of a sudden, boom, he just blew it out <laughs> right. of, you know, 50, right. 60 yards, and that's just how he does it, and you know, and, I, and a lot of times, you, you even see it at the college game with guys like Leonard Fournette, where it's like, you know, well, oh, my gosh, in the first quarter, you know, he's got 10 carries for 12 yards. And all of a sudden, you look at the stats again and in the second quarter, he's got 12 carries now for 120 yards because he's had two monster blow-up, crazy, explosive right. runs. And that's just the nature of how Adrian Peterson runs because the thing that's interesting about him is if he gets into a situation, I don't know if you've seen it on film, just haven't experienced it, where so he knows that he's corralled. He's not the kind of guy that's going to fight for another two, three yards. He'll give it up he'll take a loss. He'll take a 1-yard gain. He'll, he, he'll 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 live for another day. That's just sort of his kind of strategy. But then when he sees there a potential gap, oh man, he's going to shoot through right. there like he was shot out of a gun. But uh, I would say when you're facing the Vikings, it's always that's your priority. You have to control him. And like you said, it has to be something from the start to the finish. You cannot have a lapse at any point with him because he will exploit you and he will burn you. And that's what's challenging is is you get into these kind of rhythm as a defense to where you're stopping them, you're stopping them and stopping. Them. Hey, guys, get a little relaxed. Like, ah, oh, we got this. And that's the moment where he gets you. And then Teddy Bridgewater, he's good enough right now to where you get into those heavy run looks to where he will keep you honest. He'll get you and he's functional. Yeah. And that's why right now they're able to play it at the level that they're playing is because they're finally getting some quarterback help for Adrian Peterson. And then how the, you know, last year without Adrian Peterson, they, Bridgewater was playing well enough that if they would have had Adrian Peterson, they most likely would be having the same success they are this year. So it's a nice little combination. It's not, like you said, it's not sexy. It doesn't blow off the the stat sheet, but it's effective.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's been this, it, again, sort of my circle of the world is is back home in Iowa. Most of those people are Vikings fans, or a lot of them are either Vikings or Bears fans. And it, Bridgewater's been sort of a, a little bit of a lightning rod because I think there was an expectation in year two that he'd make this huge leap. He's got AP behind him now. Now now yeah. teams are going to load the box to stop Adrian, and, and Teddy's just going to pick him apart. He's been sub uh, 200 yards and sort of a, a total passing in half their games this season. And I don't think that means he's played poorly, but they've just, they just, they have too many three and outs. They have a lot of, they just don't, they're not an explosive offense. And, and I think trying to find yeah. sort of reliable targets is a big part of this as well. I think the Mike Wallace experience, they they haven't gotten what they wanted out of that. And his role has been greatly reduced. They have this new guy, Stephon Diggs, who's been a really nice player. Uh, they had a week, uh, a few weeks ago where he was targeted 12 times. Big win. Offense has a nice day. Uh, the next week uh, he's targeted twice and they also win. <laughs> so trying to figure out. <laughs> who you're going to cover and who you're going to concentrate the, the the defense on is a real is a real thing I'm going to be interested to watch. I'm going to watch that game closely and try to figure out what the Packers do because the other thing is uh, uh, you, as you mentioned and and it's sort of it's it's a real tough thing to do as a front. You want to put eight guys in the box just to stop Peterson. I've seen people care, keep him to that three yards per carry with seven. It's just that one moment, like you said, if a crack is open and it might be on the yeah. 53rd play of a 60-play game and he breaks one out. Yeah. Uh, but if yeah. you if you overcommit and spend the whole game in eight or even nine man boxes, that's that one single play that, that Teddy will get you on play action. So they're a tough out. They just you just sit and wait in the weeds until they finally uh, get that one play that breaks you. One thing I should mention, obviously, is both of us played some special teams. Uh, I made a career out of that. And I'm watching Cordarell Patterson, a guy whose role has as basically in the offense been negated it, it last year I I'm studying him for the Patriots game he was one of the him he was one of the biggest things we talked about him and Craig Jennings and this Asada guy that was the other running back and all of a sudden the guy has no role but last week he broke through he broke through with a giant kick return, 93-yard thing, and you see that explosiveness. It's getting colder. You know this better than anyone. These games in the north, and the Norse division, as they say, uh, that starts to be a really big part of the game. So keeping that dude under control. I don't know, and I haven't studied the Packers uh, special teams well enough, but uh, that might be an area where you, know, you get the check mark for the for the Vikings, and they can maybe generate a little offense with that crew. We'll just sort of slide through here the rest of the schedule. We've got a lot of other big games. We get a touch on another one of your former teams. And uh, I think this is a, a curiosity for people that handicap games. Obviously, we do that on the website with locks. The Cowboys figuring out what to expect from from this weekend as they travel to Miami to face the Dolphins. It's a head scratcher because. They've been a pretty uh, a pretty putrid offense for the last several weeks, and you know I, I say that with with caution because Matt Castle's a buddy. Uh, it, just for whatever reason, <laughs> things weren't you know things were not able to click like I thought they would. He had a, a decent first week. The second week showed some promise, and then that last week against the Bucs, it just there was nothing there. And I, I can't put it all on Matt yeah. because you look at guys like Des Bryant and you, you got a 50-50 ball you got to go get it. Uh so there were a lot of those situations and I'm sort of wondering in my head and you've obviously been a teammate of this guys does just simply having Tony Romo there change everything? Are they are they are they 20 points better a game as an offense just cuz Tony, Tony's now
1: under center? Oh, there's no doubt about it. It's it's not even including his tangible skill set. It's just more his presence, his poise his confidence his leadership abilities those intangibles are what make him a game changer as, as soon as he gets back into the lineup and that's what he was trying to do this last week you know as he sent that tweet out with the, uh, the i don't know if you caught that little video clip major league of, yes. uh, the, of major league yeah we just got to win the whole thing you know and that's just how he is he just he, he's one of those guys that just he's loose he's relaxed nothing ever really gets him ruffled nothing ever really gets him to a tizzy he never panics and guys love that because he keeps things re, you know he keeps things uh, under control I would say in the huddle even if it's a crucial pressure pack situation but when you look at it just from a strategic standpoint the biggest thing that he's going to be able to do is he's going to be able to exploit those heavy run looks and that's what Matt Castle and even Brandon Whedon had a real difficult time of doing is here they are facing these heavy boxes man looks and they just could not exploit those to discourage the defenses for, to run something else. And and even so, they still were able to run the ball and have been able to run the ball this year very well, top 10 run offense. And so really the biggest thing for Tony Romo is his leadership abilities and his intangibles, but then also his ability to be able to connect on some of those long throws that are going to really force these defenses to start to think about, hey, hey we got to start to vary a little bit from just loading up the box to defend the run well to now we have to keep ourselves also protected on the back end
0: well i'm i'm curious brady and uh, again this is where we can sort of inject a little fantasy football into this because i know people will be curious uh, th- this is one of those teams that if you're you're drafting your roster or whatever you're doing daily fantasy earlier in the season and romo's there a lot of these guys are really attractive targets guys like des bryant one of the you know the highest oh, buys yeah. in fantasy football jason witten the old reliable you know his, his binky his blanket i mean they're going i have that relationship has always been strong between those two oh, yeah. so i i look at i look look at this week, and I know a lot of people out there that, that do this stuff are real curious you know, can uh, Romo just arrive on the scene and immediately have that relationship with either Des or either Jason, or even maybe Cole Beasley, who's who's sort of again another head scratcher. Two weeks ago, yeah, him and uh, him and Castle just look exceptional. It was like, wow, they've got their you know Wes Welker light. They've got their 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 yeah. their sort of joystick like the old Dante Hall the kind of interior guy that nobody can <laughs> right. stay with. Uh, so it looks like there are some elements on that offense, but can they put it together in one week? I mean, I just don't – the real problem they put themselves in is they don't have any grace. There's no room for them to to figure it out, you know, two or three weeks from now. They're right up against the edge, but they need to they need to hit the ground rolling right away.
1: Yeah, I think they will because, I mean, you saw the drop-off as soon as Tony Romo went down. I do believe maybe it's not going to be as equal as liftoff, talking about how steep it is, but there's going to be right. – be pretty heavy, you know. It's gonna it's gonna take off quite a bit just with him there, because the offense is obviously it's gonna be a lot more of an open book now, whereas before is more limited. Even with Matt Castle, I mean, it, that was an unfair situation to put the guy in. I mean, come on, the right. guy Comes from a whole other scheme, a whole other system. You interject him in the middle of it. You you know, give him a week basically to prepare for that system and. All of a sudden, hey, how you doing? Jason? "Oh, I guess I'm kind of quarterback. We're, you know, we're trying to, you know, run right. these timing routes here. We haven't even thrown the ball to each other more than maybe ten times, you know. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't really even a fair situation for him. And the Brandon Whedon was just his own, you know, his own worst enemy. He just didn't want to take any chances. Didn't believe in him himself. Didn't believe that he could, you know, really connect and of those long balls. And kept checking it down. And you just can't do that when you're facing a lot of those heavy run looks. Because a lot of those heavy run looks, as you know, are accompanied with press man coverage." And so you got to take some shots downfield. He wasn't willing to do that. Tony Romo can. And so I would say there is going to be a pretty big upswing with that Dallas Cowboys offense and with their team with the return of Tony Romo.
0: Well, I think that's one of the big question marks of the week, so we get an opportunity to look, and I think it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, transitioning here to another game that uh, I think has some equal intrigue. It, it's not This one actually has a little more sort of playoff implications, and obviously this one hit home more for me. Uh, that we're going to talk here a little bit about, about the Patriots and Bills uh, and why I kind of find this a little bit interesting, and I know it's something that really all of our writers have touched on at some point, uh, this this Buffalo Bills sort of curiosity up in the north. I'm uh, taking the sort of side stuff, you know, the, the 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 podium stuff and Rex and his personality sort of out of it, and just sort of talking about the X's and O's portion of this. Yeah. I, I'm curious, and I'm glad to have you on the line, just because you know, as a former linebacker, you you played outside linebacker quite a bit, and that's being over a tight end uh, in a lot of in a lot of situations, especially as a hangover guy in in a three-four kind of look. It, it's or even Sam in a four three you end up aligned across guys like Gronkowski quite a bit now there aren't a lot of guys like Gronkowski but it's been one of the big stories up here because he was basically left to run free throughout the secondary the first time these guys faced one another now Rex Ryan has been very uh he's been sort of mute on this topic this week but stefan gilmore one of their back end guys had had made some comments about they've got a secret scheme not so secret i guess but just a, a way that they're going to take away gronkowski they've been working on this they're going to account for him now you're not going to see him unfettered running around the back running around the back end I'm curious. Just sending this back to a linebacker. You got to, You're on. You're a, you're a Sam linebacker this week for the Buffalo Bills. You want to to slow Gronkowski
1: down. Yeah. The biggest thing is you got to double him. I mean, without Julian Edelman now, I would dare Tom Brady to beat you with somebody else and not have it be Gronkowski. And I would live by that the whole game. I would double him and do everything I could to eliminate him and say, Hey, if you're going to beat us with somebody else, kudos to you. Big fist pump. You guys win. And and I'm just not going to let it happen to where all of a sudden you're going to be able to beat me with Gronkowski. That's just uh, bottom line. So what you're going to do is you're going to bump that guy at the linebacker and constantly have his safety over the top help on him. Actually, we did that in 2007 with Tony Gonzalez. And it worked pretty well. And I mean, you can't compare that team with, you know, this this, uh, New England Patriot team. But it worked well enough to where he didn't beat us. And and like I said, in this situation with uh, Gronkowski, if you can do that, and they still beat you, then you just sort of say, hey, man, that's that was your day. You guys got us. But there's no right. way that you can say that we're going to let this guy run free and have the kind of game they had in their first encounter. That, to me, was unacceptable. But because they don't have Julian Edelman talking about the Patriots, you're just basically selling out on the fact that, hey, we are going all in on stopping Gronk and then challenging them to figure out somebody else to gash us with
0: Well, just to dive here a little more into the weeds of of how you would actually get it done, I I totally agree with you that he is the focus. It it absolutely has to be beat me with someone else, you know, prove that Brandon LaFell can catch the 10 targets, you know, that, that, that they would normally send Julian's way. Let's see if, if Danny Amendola can completely take over the world. Let's see if you can even beat us with a run game a little bit more. It just can't be Gronk. It's just that can't have that freebie. The one thing I'm curious with, and I've seen so many teams try so many different things, and because you see so many four-man lines now, a lot of teams playing sort of over defense where the three linebackers are off the ball, and you get your four-man rush line, or if it's a nickel where the linebackers are, are off the ball guys anyway – the one thing that I think teams continue to fail with is they not allowing or not using the defensive end as that bump guy, not using the defensive end to to uh, to jam him, and I think usually it's under the presumption that and and I I'm use Mario Williams as an example. He was talking about this earlier, not in relation to the Patriots or Gronk, but apparently they were using him out in coverage. They were dropping the ends with some of Rex's you know exotic looks and stuff like that, and it was after a loss and Mario Williams had made some some public comments about about uh, you know I'm not paid to drop I'm not paid to be a flat dropper you know I'm not paid to you know be a hole player I'm paid to get after the quarterback and I understand that sentiment when you make money like that you you're trying to accumulate tax and all that kind of thing right but I think it's yeah. one of those attitudes that if you have that against the Patriots and Gronk, you're missing it because if you Ole Gronk and just had to get go good after Tom Brady on on three step pass and you're not getting there anyway, so I, I really think that the the bump element, the 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 jam element can't just first come from that linebacker standing at five yards, especially with these super tight illegal contact rules. So a lot of times, the, you know, that yeah. the linebacker just takes a step backwards, he's already beyond the, the the line. So you have to sell out with your defensive ends and just, you know, show them tape, show them, hey, here's the 60 reps of people rushing against Tom Brady and three-step passing. Nobody got there. <laughs> so you go ahead and rush uh, and just let Gronk <laughs> build on our linebackers and safeties. You go ahead and let him just build into the secondary and you're hurting us. So I just I would like to see Mario Williams, even or even Jerry Hughes on the other side. If one of those two guys just simply puts both hands in Gronk's chest, and then the double comes from off of him. It's it's something that I, I did as a as a player. Where I, I mean I'm not. Claiming to be any coverage guy, and all my position coaches would have told you as well as much. Chad not the guy you're <laughs> going to put to, to cover their athletic tight end, but I could hold him up. I could grab, I could hold, I could jam like, you know, like crazy. And we actually well, played yeah, the. Yeah. We, we played the Giants one year and this is at a time where Jeremy Shockey was really at his height. And I, oh, wow. my role is just to beat him up at the line and then someone else is going to cover him behind me because I'm not, he's just beat or too quick at the top of his routes, but using the front end person, uh, to beat him up as opposed to the guy that's required to beat him up, but then also has to be a part of the coverage that gets a little bit tough yeah. because then you can't, you can't really oversell because then you've maybe taken a step past him and he blows past you into the secondary.
1: A couple of years ago when the jets played the Patriots in the playoffs, it was when Mark Sanchez was the quarterback. I think it was what? Oh, nine. I don't know. But they, the jets ran a, a defense to where they were dropping like at times nine guys in the coverage, but right. they and this is with yeah. Rex Ryan is their coach. And I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I haven't seen him do that since then, but I wouldn't doubt it if he pulls that defense out and dusts it off in some variation. Because, like you said, I think they get to the point these defensive coordinators are looking at, uh, you know, Tom Brady, you're like this guy gets the ball out even before our guys get there. So let's not even waste our rushers trying to pressure right. him. Let's use these rushers, like you had just mentioned, to to more disrupt in the passing game. So who knows? I mean, I would I would go with that, or at least a variation of that, as a changeup to, you know, what drop. Nine guys, <laughs> not that you, you know, show a previous, but just you know, have them line up, have those uh, the the ends, like you said, drop and disrupt guys like Gronkowski, have the other end drop, or just sort of do, you know slow rush and try to get into passing lanes, or at least just get in the way of. You know, the, 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 where receivers going or just uh, some open space. So, uh, but that worked for them against the Patriots uh, a number of years ago in the divisional round of the playoffs that, and then and that and led to their victory for the, the Jets to get into the uh, conference championship game.
0: Well, I'm wondering just from a, uh, this is goofy uh, and this is, maybe purposely a little bit too ridiculous, but Rex is, is want to do something crazy like this. The Patriots have done stuff like this in the past too, where you mentioned just drop nine. You can even go 10. You can even go 11. I mean, just something silly <laughs> to just poke at them and like say, no one's rushing. Oh, you know? yeah. I don't. <laughs> everyone stand, get my longest guys who stand and sort of play volleyball at the line. Uh, maybe even a yard or two back and just say, dude, find somebody because we're not going to come. We're not going to rush. You throw it into a place that's far too tight. We'll take our chances. Uh, you can sit back there for an hour. Do it, you know, I'm, I'm obviously being a little ridiculous with this, but it just, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's one of those things you watching week after week, after week, people put forth game plans against this Patriots offense. It just don't work. And, and you have yeah. to, at some point say, okay, I'm using up assets that never get there. You know, I'm, I'm buying stocks that always end up not yeah. being worth anything at the end. So if, if getting there with, you're not getting there with three, you know, we're getting there with four, you're not getting there with five. So shoot, I need those in coverage. Yeah. So I'm going to use them back here, that kind of thing. But well. see Uh, you obviously can't go overboard because maybe at some point they pull it down but if they don't Maybe test them. It'll be a fun week to watch. I think just from sort of wonks that like to watch football game planning and the way you put things together, it'll be interesting to see what Rex chooses and and if it ultimately works. Transitioning here to another game that is is very I think interesting on the AFC side of the ledger. The Broncos uh, are a huge curiosity around the NFL, obviously from a Patriot audience, mm-hmm. which is a lot of our a lot of our podcasts. People want to know where this team is going, uh, and I've heard this. Some variation of this phrase several times this week i'm not I'm not ready to jump right on board with it. I think I understand the sentiment of it, but this notion that Brock osweiler will be better than than peyton manning and and i I get what people are saying because Peyton has been so bad you know if you're provided you're just average you're 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 not as bad. I get that, but I'm a little. Yeah, I went back and watched all of his snaps from a week ago. I didn't go so deep as uh, as to go watch his preseason snaps, but I think he only had twenty-ish some reps and and a handful of throws in the last week's game, or twenty-six passes. I don't like to have him exactly sure on the snap count, but I saw some stuff where it's like, okay, I get it. I I see what they see. Uh, I, I the analogy in my head, or at least the parallel I was trying to draw was. One thing I noticed with Osweiler is he doesn't look uncomfortable. And I think this is sort of the Aaron Rodgers thing. Uh, I'm not trying to call him that that same player, but the guy that was a relatively high draft pick that sat for several years, uh, that sort of marinade on the bench kind of thing, but also get to learn from the great guy. He doesn't look uncomfortable. And I'm not saying he's going to walk in there and, and blow the top off this thing, uh, but I don't look at him as like – you know, I'm trying to think. Of Landry Jones, you know, coming in behind uh, Pitt, you know, behind Ben Roethlisberger, and just looking like, whoa, there's a there's a precipitous drop between A and B. This looked sure. more like, you know, what he he looks comfortable in their offense. He may not make every throw, uh, but this isn't a guy I think you're going to go out and he's going to go 10 for 30 for 112 yards and four picks or anything like that either. Anything that what's your your expectation of what this offense may or may not do with Brock now this weekend in Chicago?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to be better. And it's because Kubiak, the whole. and this is what I sensed from the beginning, Kubiak has wanted to run his scheme. He hasn't wanted to adjust to Peyton. He was almost forced to. Because if you right. looked at the early part of the season when they were trying to move Peyton around, as we know with uh, Kubiak's offense, he wants to run their zone scheme and then complement that with a bootleg game. And with uh, Peyton Manning and his limitations moving, right. he was laboring just to get into drops, just to get, you know, to basically – in a rollout on a bootleg, it was it was a disaster. And, and Kubiak-Faylor was like, well, okay, we're well, just going to have to play this guy with a shotgun and do what he wants to do, which I do believe compromised what they wanted to do in the running game because that complemented the bootleg with that zone running scheme that really gets defenses moving east and west is what makes that running game so effective. That's where you right. get those gashes in the run defense. And so he's been unable to do that with Brock Osweiler. At the very least, I'm not saying Brock Osweiler is you know the most you know nimble quarterback known to man, but he's going to be more nimble than uh, Peyton Manning. And so at the very least, they're right. going to be able to do the schemes that he wanted to do in the first place. Talking about Kubiak, which is the zone scheme running, and then the bootleg to complement that. And because of that, they're gonna they're gonna have an uptick. I I mean, they've played poorly on offense. Let's not sugarcoat it. And I don't care if he's right. been injured or not. Talk about Peyton Manning, it's been a disaster. Okay, I mean, the rushing is they're 29th in the league right now. Their points are 18th. You know, they just haven't been offensively anything close to what they've been the last two years. And it's because they've always, in my opinion, had haven't said it, but they've wanted to just turn the page and go to Osweiler. Peyton's had some games though, to where. He's looked great, you know, and he's gone right. out and, and and gashed defenses. We all knew he had a couple of those in him anyway. Not that he was going to go out every week and play at that level, but I would say that there is going to be an uptick. I I, I would think that they're they're going to be more explosive offensively, and it's going to be a dilemma for the the, the Denver Broncos organization. How do you manage that situation where you got a quarterback that gives you a better chance to win that now's taken over for a guy that just broke the all time record for passing yards last <laughs> right. week? He's a legend and. You're, you know, and it's and you got a legend in John Elway, who's your ex, one of your top executives, that he was able to finish out his career on a high note, and, you know, he didn't have somebody coming in and taking a spot midseason. Now you're potentially going to have to do that to Peyton. And so it's going to be an interesting dynamic, you know, if that ends up happening of, of how they end up sort of passing the reins off to Brock Osweiler. I'm sure Peyton Manning's a professional, but uh, at the same time, that would be a blow to his ego.
0: Sure, and it's all these things always interest me. Again, I'm sort of reverting back to fantasy football talk, and I know people people are interested in that. This is another one of those curiosity games. A guy that's a huge high buy would be a guy like yeah. Demarius Thomas. A guy like Demarius Thomas is, you know, his value's been way down for several weeks because nobody's. What about you know, Vernon Davis busy.
1: though? I mean, Vernon yeah, Davis I, is a guy that what he arrived like a couple just, of weeks ago. Finally, now is you know maybe starting to feel a little more comfortable. I have some packages built in for him.
0: You're absolutely right, and it's interesting that I, I was just about to go there, and it's because of the Kubiak thing. It's because of how much he loved to use the tight end, especially you know in Houston, and yeah. and uh, you know obviously Owen Daniels had a revival a couple of weeks ago with the Broncos uh, when he was in Baltimore when he found sort of his guy. All of a sudden, wow, he really wanted to integrate even with Flacco, who could use you could use short boot. You know, well, it's not you know across the formation kind of boot, but it was still short boot, and I think it it, it frees up guys like. For and Davis last week with Peyton Manning a couple times in that first half they had scripted plays you could tell that this is going to be a shot play to Vernon Davis. We, we he's the first mm. read. We're showing the look to get him the ball. And Peyton could not get the ball to him. He just couldn't. He could didn't have the zip on the ball. <laughs> it's a fitted yeah. pass. It's a window play. And it's it's sort of this wasted asset. So Vernon Davis has looked a little bit like a, you know, like a waste of a, a a pick because hey, we don't have the guy who can get him the ball. Well, now they do. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, does maybe DeBarius Thomas, who had been more of a shot guy, a guy that can win on the super deep end cut stuff, the big comebacks oh, on the yeah. outside, the balls that Peyton's mm. Been hitting him on when he was much more healthy and a younger dude. Uh, that comes, I think, more into play. I think Emmanuel Sanders uh, can continue to have kind of a similar role. It'll be it'll be interesting to see who Osweiler's guy is—his binky, his blanky. Who does he feel comfortable yeah. sending the ball to? Vernon Davis has only been there for a few weeks, but it would sort of uh, it would it would make sort of logical sense that he becomes a bigger part. We don't know that, but I think if you, you're really talking about those three legs potentially of the tight end, maybe it's just Owen and not. Vernon, but uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, those are, those are speculative guys this week where I don't think you'd be surprised if nothing works because it's just first week one back or if it explodes, you know, so I think that's what makes yeah. this game so exciting because we just have no idea how it's going to turn out. All right, now we're going to transition here to the very final game of the week and I think really sort of the best contest that's out there, sort of the big question mark uh, with these Arizona Cardinals getting a home game and they are hot uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals who had been, had been hot, but have cooled (laughs) at least for one week they've cooled. So, you know, Arizona really got over their big hurdle by traveling up to, to, Century in Seattle, winning on the road against that difficult defense in that difficult place and and really making the the Seattle offense look out of sorts. Not that that hasn't been the case in several other weeks this year, but Arizona, I think, is sort of over that hump in the, in the West. Now they get a return home uh, and they get to take on a Bengals team that I still say is one of the toughest outs out there as far as just a straight matchup oh, yeah, kind yeah. of deal but they're not playing well. So how do you sort of flesh out how this thing might go down in AZ this weekend?
1: It's going to be a heck of a game. I, I give Arizona the uh, the edge though, because Carson Palmer, man, he was impressive in that game against Seattle. Now he got beat up. They were able to pressure him. You know, they were able to get the bottom of his hands, had a couple of, well, one fumble that resulted in a touchdown and another fumble that set up another touchdown for that Seattle Seahawks offense because of the pressure on Carson Palmer, but outside of that, his ability to move in the pocket is impressive, considering he's been through two ACL surgeries and he's so late in his career. But he was right. he was managing that pocket, buying time to where it was just it was looking like a guy that seemed like he just rewound his career back about five or six years. It was impressive, to be honest with you. And then you line that up with the running game with Chris Johnson, that's also been some of a, somewhat of a revival. And they got themselves, you know, the combination and the recipe and the formula to really run deep and go deep into the playoffs and be one of these top-tier teams that contend. And so I, I give I give Arizona the edge just because they're in Arizona and they are rolling. They have that kind of momentum deal going on with their win last week against Seattle. But I do say this, Cincinnati, man, every time I turn the film on to them, they, I'm always sort of taken back. But especially as of late. Now, last week was somewhat of an aberration, but of how right. many weapons they have offensively, they are impressive. I mean, AJ Green, Eifert, Sanu—you know—you got the running back situation. It's just—they're really good, and they can. Right. When they're rolling, they can just really turn it on and gash you. You know, and after last week, you had three huge drops that were play—you know—one of those kind of drops that could have extended drives, could have got the momentum going, and made that game last week a completely different game versus the Houston Texans. But then again, we're all reverting. I am, at least, reverting back to the Andy Dalton situation. You know, right. is he going to be the guy, you know? And, and we, we asked this a couple weeks ago, you know, some of the big question marks around, you know, Cincinnati Bengals. Can he be the guy when things around him aren't really rolling, you know, because he's got a lot of talent, right. to basically be the catalyst? You know, I, I, I would say up until this point, he's been more of the complimentary piece. But when he right. has to be the catalyst, he doesn't seem to get the job done. And I do believe he's going to have to be the catalyst against the Arizona Cardinals. And I don't know. Well, of the- can he get it done? I don't think he can
0: well, one of the things that's really been a head scratcher to me and you know, Hugh Jackson is is now sort of being talked about as this hot new coach. You know, he's the O. C. there in Cincinnati. Yeah. We all know that he took the gig out in Oakland and it was sort of a dumpster fire there, but it's always difficult to determine if that's the coach or the situation or an organization that just is was a mess at the time. But one of the the, the I guess the oddities that I think they have a luxury of talent on that team and and sometimes when you've got so much it it becomes difficult to figure out what to do with it Uh, Rocky Boyman who obviously lives and works (laughs) in that Cincinnati market wrote on this on his Rockies 4 earlier this week on the website and talked about getting too cute and and I've seen that I've seen that even with the New England Patriots over the years where occasionally I think Josh McDaniels is one of the best coordinators in football but there have been that moment where you know is it really necessary to take a shot on first down and and make it second and ten is it really necessary to do to try reverse deep in your own you know deep in their territory on first yeah, down yeah. When, when everything else is clicking you know but I kind of felt like Hugh Jackson was was dipping a toe in that kind of water like okay you really need to get back to your bread and butter because I'm looking at Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill which was really the story of what this team leaned upon late in the season a year ago with all those receiving weapons going down injured I'm looking at a team entering late November they can rediscover that running game. I think something that that would would sort of address what you talked about, where you're looking to Andy Dalton to be the catalyst because they want to throw the ball every down. I think they need to get back to where cumulatively between those two guys, you got to come up with 25 ish touches. You got to, you know, it doesn't have to be 25 all to Jeremy Hill, and it doesn't have to be you know, 15 and 10, somehow you got to break it up. But I think with Whitworth as one of your tackles, those are guys who really thrive when you let them run block first. And then it's a complimentary pass to Eifert as opposed to got to have it pass to Eifert or, or it's it's a shot to AJ Green, but not when everyone in the stadium knows the shots coming to AJ Green. I just think it's something they've got in their tool belt that they're not really using. So you hit the nail on the head, this idea that, you know, the questions are now going to be there uh, after the performance they had against the Texans. It's it's to me almost the the last matchup you'd want to try to answer that question on the road at one <laughs> <laughs> with one of the hottest teams in football. Or to be honest, if 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 last week had not happened and say the say the Bengals had had rolled through and maybe a close win or a win by less than 10 points or something that we've seen them do over the texans people would go ho-hum oh, oh well that's a game we expect them to win coming traveling now to arizona with arizona as hot as they are i think we'd still really have the exact same questions i, I don't think the 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 prognostication of what would come of it would really change that much because i think arizona is just a really difficult matchup they've they're finding production from yeah. michael floyd you know from uh from the, the the brown kid uh i mean just places where if we're having this conversation a couple years ago and you're saying this is one of the highest scoring offenses in football relying upon a quarterback in Carson Palmer that a few years ago in Oakland looked like his career was on the way out Chris Johnson was yep. on the street people didn't you know to, the idea that they've re, <laughs> they're one of the most dangerous offenses in football with Carson Palmer Chris Johnson one of the leading rushers in the NFL uh, and 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 John Brown who's a nice complimentary player but this is not you know, this is not, uh, I don't know, Julio Jones or anything like that. Larry yeah, Fitzgerald's man. had a career revival. All these guys. So it's just a really incredible story. It shows how, how important coaching is. I think Bruce Arians does a great job there. But we get to figure it all out. It's, it's, something's going to be answered this weekend, and I can give people out there that are listeners a little bit of a tease. They're not going to be one of our locks because I have no idea. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> that is a toss-up game. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a toss-up game. All right, Brady. Well, man, have an awesome week this weekend. I know you're uh, you're off to do a little college football this weekend. Uh, you, what was the game that you have again for Westwood One? Oregon and USC. Yeah, Oregon USC. A big Pac-12 matchup. Absolutely, and there'll be some NFL players on that field for sure. So, have a great weekend, oh, yeah. buddy. Thanks for all the uh, awesome insight, and uh, we'll meet up again next week. Take care. Sounds good, man. Have a good one on yourself. And that concludes this week's NFL In The Game podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the FBF podcast. And as always, you can find us for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady Papenga, myself, Brady Quinn, and all the other writers, make sure to check out footballbyfootball.com on Facebook page. And give us a follow-up on Twitter at FBbyFB. FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by football players.
1: Hi, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.